0: Good evening, it's great to see you all back again for our 15th session of Unlocked Revelation. Let's have a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we pray that as we enter into our study tonight, that the spirit of the living God will be present. Come into our hearts, help us to truly see from your word what your will is. And Lord, give us the strength and the courage and the faith to follow your leading Bless us as we study together. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Now, on Thursday night, we'll be studying the topic of Babylon Rising. And on Friday, we'll be doing the Mark of the Beast. And then on Monday, we'll be doing the 144,000. I know these are topics you've been looking forward to. And All of these topics that we'll be discussing, I hope that as many as possible can be present for them. They're really uh, topics that people are interested in today. Now, realizing that there's a spiritual conflict ahead of us, God wants us not only to live our lives abundantly and joyfully here on this earth, but he also wants us to be prepared He wants us to be prepared physically and spiritually for the conflict that is before us. And he has given us, in his word, definite counsels on things that we can do to help us be ready. There will be a time when we have to make decisions that are very close to the line between truth and error. And we have to have clear minds to be able to distinguish the true from the counterfeit and from what is right and what is wrong. And so God wants us to preserve our mind in its condition as possible. And with that, I want to begin tonight by telling you a story about neuroscience's probably most famous patient. Back in 1843, there was a man by the name of Phineas Gage. He was 25 years old. Anybody ever hear of Phineas Gage? Okay. Some of you may have, but didn't recognize his name. You see, Phineas Gage, in one night, became famous. One day, I should say. He became famous in a matter of hours, actually. He was a foreman on the railroad construction crew. And as they were working, uh, trying to blast away in Cavendish, Vermont, they were blasting away the side of a hill. And the men were supposed to go along, drill a hole to put the gunpowder down in, and put sand in it. And then Phineas would come along with a, a big steel pipe, three feet long, one inch wide and he would go along and he would stomp the sand down make sure it was packed down properly well as he was going about his business doing this he came to one hole he thought was all ready to go but somebody had forgotten to put the sand in it and as he was damping away with the rod, he put it down and it struck against the side of the the rock and a spark came out and exploded the dynamite that was in it. That rod had came out of that hole with such force, it went up, well actually through his left side, it went up and caught him under the left cheek, went up past The back of his eye and came out the top of his head just behind the hairline. As a matter of fact, the explosion was so strong that that rod shot 80 feet into the air. Well, Phidias recovered. He had full recovery. But it's very interesting that from that moment on, This man who was a good father, he was a good foreman and worker, he was a regular church attender, and he seemed to be a model father and citizen. But from that moment on, he was completely changed. He looked the same outwardly, except he lost the vision in one eye, and his hair covered the uh, scar on the top. But... Phineas' personality changed. His attitudes changed. And not only did he lose his job, but he ended up abandoning his family and he went off and joined the circus traveling. Completely different man. Why? Because it had destroyed the frontal lobe of his brain where he made decisions and choices. He was an entirely different person. After he died, his doctor petitioned the court, and they were able to exhume his skull and also the rod. And if you go to Harvard University and visit the Warren Anatomical Museum, there you will find the head of Phineas and the rod that shot through his head. My friends, why did this man change? The frontal lobe of his brain was destroyed. But there's a war that's going to be going on for the souls of men, for the hearts of men. And our ability to make decisions, we need to preserve our minds and our hearts and galvanize them that we may be sealed by God, as we look at our study tonight, notice what it says in Revelation 14:9: If anyone worships the beast in his image and receives the mark on his forehead or in his hand, he causes all both small and great, rich and poor, free and slave, to receive the mark on their right hand or on their foreheads. As I mentioned before, behind your forehead is your frontal lobe, where you make your moral choices. That's also where you communicate with God, and God communicates with you. And what we think steers our hand. You know, the ship, some of these great big ships, when I was in the Upper Peninsula, we used to go up to Sault Ste. Marie and we'd watch these huge tankers come through. But you know what? It only takes a little rudder in comparison. Rudder is big, but in comparison, that a little rudder to turn that ship one direction or another. And this is what our conscience does. This is what our mind does. And this is what God wants to protect. And this is the very thing that the devil wants to put his seal in. What he stands for. What his, his motives and purposes are. So that we will reflect his character instead of the character of God. Notice what it says here in 3 John verse 2. Beloved, I pray that you may prosper in all things and be in health. Just as your soul prospers. Very few people, I think, today realize that God not only cares about us spiritually, he cares about us physically. He has told us how to be healthier, how to be happier, how to be stronger. But he needs us to cooperate with him, right? He's not going to do it if we're not interested in him doing it. And notice he calls us beloved. God cares for you. I pray that you may prosper in all things and be in health just as your soul prospers. A good example of this and a biblical example of this is found in the book of Daniel. We've talked about Daniel before. Daniel was taken into Babylon when his home in Jerusalem was invaded. And the first thing that he did when he got there, the king brought all these boys who had come from Jerusalem who were the cream of the crop of Israel. And what did he try to do? He tried to brainwash them. He favored them because he was going to set them up as puppet rulers And send them back to the different provinces. As governors and uh, government officials under him. And to do this. He had to brainwash. Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And there were others. Of these Jewish boys who came. The others gave in. To the king. These four did not. And. The king overpowers them. He sets before them all kinds of food. And he says, eat, enjoy. Well, obviously, they didn't want to offend the king. So some of them said, oh boy, we dare not offend Nebuchadnezzar. You know, he has a bit of a hot temper. And so they gave in. But Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, and Daniel did not. And apparently, Daniel was the uh, leader of the four and he said no instead of giving me all this wine to drink and all these fatty foods and uh, heavy pastries and everything give me a simple diet give me what was called pulse we would call it today a vegetarian diet and he said give me water instead of some of these other things and no, uh, They weren't so sure about that at first, whether or not they would. But when the king tested Daniel, they found that he and his friends were ten times smarter, ten times healthier than even the other Jewish boys who came with him, who had given in. And far ahead of the other nations that they had uh, offered these to also. Why? Because he had obeyed what God had expressly put in the scriptures that he should avoid and he chose that which was right and pleasing to God. Because of this because of Daniel chapter 1 beginning with the health message it prepared him so that God could use him for a greater work in chapter 2. In chapter two, he had to explain that vision that we're familiar with, with the multi man. He had to explain that to the king. And because of this, and because of his faithfulness in the smaller things, God was able to use him for the greater things. The frontal lobe, the frontal part of your brain, is where you reason. That's where your intellect is. That's where your judgment is centered. And this is what God wants consecrated to him. We need to keep it healthy. There are many things that lead us astray in our society today. I've heard people say, well, yeah, I know, but eh, it's not going to hurt. What's a little bit of this, a little bit of that? Well, let's take a look and see. Some of the things that damage the mind, some of the things that God doesn't want us to engage in. Obviously, I think it's fair to say that most of us agree that God doesn't want us using uh, drugs, illicit drugs, that that are meant to destroy us morally as well as physically. What, What affects you physically will affect your thinking. Let me use an illustration. Let's say you came home and you are as hungry as could be and you sit down at the table and your wife has prepared you a nice meal and you're ready to eat it. When all of a sudden somebody comes in and says, oh, come quickly. Your little boy has just been hit by a car. What happens to your appetite? It's gone, right? Right? It's gone. You see, there's a psychosomatic connection. Yeah. When, when you feel hungry, I don't know about you, but when I am hungry, I get grouchy. I mean, grouchier than usual. And I get grouchy when I'm hungry. If I don't get enough sleep, I get grouchy. I guess I'm grouchy a lot of times. But you see, your physical condition can affect your mind. And if somebody comes in and gives you good news, oh, that just kind of picks up your whole spirit, doesn't it? And so the psychosomatic relationship, what affects the, the body can affect the mind, and vice versa. It can go the other way. Researchers have proven that the quickest way to shut down your judgment is the use of alcohol. And Alcohol goes directly to your frontal lobe. And it affects your judgment. You may say, well, I'm not an alcoholic. But binge drinking. Some people are binge drinkers. Some people are social drinkers. They've discovered that social drinkers who only drink once uh, a week, that actually they still suffer brain damage from that one drink that they take. In Proverbs 20, verse 1, notice what it says here. Wine is a mocker. It makes a fool out of you. Strong drink is a brawler. How many people get into fights? And whoever is led astray by it is not wise. What's he saying? If you're not wise, you're foolish. Right? And here we see that the Lord knew right from the beginning that wine was not good for us. It interrupts also our communication with God. I knew a fellow in Lansing who used to go down to the jail, usually as a guest of the the police department, because he was also one of the town drunks. And Whenever he was down there in jail, he would preach a storm up to the men around him. And when he was sober, one time I was visiting him, I said, John, you know, why do you do that? He says, well, you know, the Bible says the only way you're going to reach a sinner is to be one of them. And the other way I'm going to reach these men who are drunk in prison to have a drink with them. And I said, John, did you ever notice anything? Even though you're quoting scriptures to these people, one moment you may be quoting scripture, but in the next breath I catch you swearing and cursing and taking the Lord's name in vain. Isn't there some sort of a a contradiction here somewhere? And he said, well, I never thought of that. My friend's Drinking wine, and that takes in also other alcoholic beverages, is making a fool of us. And oftentimes, we're not even aware of it. Only 7% of drinkers in the United States consume 50% of the alcohol that is sold in the United States. 7% are drinking 50% of the alcohol. I noticed when I was giving studies in uh, the Vermont State Prison. I did a little survey. Of all the guys I worked with, every one of them, with the exception of one, was either on drugs or alcohol at the time they committed their crime. That in itself should tell us something about the uh, negative effects of it One in six Americans have a drinking problem. Forty percent of state prisoners convicted of violent crimes were under the influence of alcohol at the time of their offense. In fact, the more violent the crime, the greater likelihood that alcohol was involved. Why? Because of what the scripture says. Notice what else it says. Do not look on the wine when it is red when it sparkles in the cup, when it swirls around smoothly. At the last, it bites like a serpent and it stings like a viper. Now, what's it mean, swirling around in the glass? Have you ever noticed that connoisseurs of wine, they'll put it in the glass and they'll swish it around. Before I came over here tonight, I have some grape juice in the refrigerator. Don't worry, it's Welch's. It's not Mogan David, okay? I had some grape juice in the refrigerator, and I deliberately put it in a glass, and I tried swirling it around. It didn't swirl around. It slushed, you know, slushed this way and that way. But wine, you'll find, will oftentimes, as you spin it in the glass, it will smoothly go around. Why? Because of the alcohol content in it you see. And because of this, people think, ah, well, it's good for you, but what does the scripture say? It's like a viper. It'll come back to bite you. Your eyes will see strange things and your heart will utter perverse things. I mentioned about my friend John. He would speak for the Lord and then a few seconds later he would be speaking for the devil. It would be confusing to him and to others. But then again, Pastor, come on. It says in the Bible, Paul is telling Timothy, when you have an upset stomach, don't drink the water, but instead drink a little wine for your stomach's sake. Now, it does say that, by the way. It does say that in the scriptures. The only thing that people aren't telling you, number one, is that there are two words in the scriptures used for wine. One is yayin, and the other is oinos, or where we get the word wine from. Both of them mean the fruit of the grape, uh, the juice of the grape. Neither one of them will indicate to you whether it's, it's strong wine or if it's grape juice. You have to determine that by the context that you find it in. Usually in the Bible, when it talks about new wine, it's talking about grape juice. When it talks about old wine, it's talking about the fermented thing. And so we find here that he says, use some wine for your stomach's sake. Why? For one thing, the water in that part of the country isn't very good. I don't know. How many of you have traveled abroad? I know David has. When I was over in Cambodia, I was very careful not to drink the water because I knew that if I drank that water, I was going to end up with dysentery and diarrhea. So I deliberately got bottled water. And they poured it in a glass for me And gave it to me and they said, oh, it's awfully warm. Would you like me to put a little ice in it? I said, oh, yeah, that would be wonderful. Thank you. What they didn't tell me was the ice was made from local water. And when they put it in, I drank the water. It tasted really good. But I'll tell you, the next day I was a very busy boy. And it upset my stomach and my whole digestive system. You see, and when you're traveling overseas, you've got to keep in mind, don't drink the water. But the grape juice that they had, and even the fermented wine that they had in those days wasn't nearly as strong as what people have today with the fermentation that uh, goes on. But why did Paul recommend that they take some grape juice for the stomach's sake? simply because the red grape has in it something called resveratrol, which is actually good for the heart. But the thing they're not telling you is that you get the same thing from grape juice as you do from wine, but you don't get the hangover. So Paul here is saying, take some wine for your stomach's sake, He's talking about as a medication because of that it's good for you. Even today, grape juice is good for you, unless you're diabetic or something. And then you have to be careful. Notice what it says in Isaiah 65, 8. As the new wine, now that's Welch's, okay? As the new wine is found in the cluster, and one says, do not destroy it, for a blessing is in it. So will I do my servants I will do for my servants' sake, that I may not destroy them all. In plain words, as the unfermented fruit juice that's in the cluster of the grape is good for you, so it's a blessing for you, so I'm going to be a blessing to my people and use them as a, a blessing to others. This is not talking about the kind that would give a hangover. As the new wine is found in the cluster, and one says, do not destroy it, for a blessing is in it, so will I do for my servant's sake, that I may not destroy them all. In plain words, he's saying he's going to keep a remnant. He's going to keep some that will be a blessing to others. In Philippians 4.19, Notice what it says here. It says, My God shall supply all your need according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. God has supplied everything we need to be happy. He has supplied what is good for us. Notice in the Garden of Eden, God supplied everything that Adam and Eve needed. But... Some people engage in habits also that are detrimental to the health in other ways. For instance, tobacco, another legal substance, it damages the frontal lobe. Nicotine affects your thinking. It affects your judgment. And because of this, and another thing you need to know also is Nicotine is water soluble. That's important to know. It's water soluble. That means that not only is your forehead addicted to nicotine, but even your little toe is addicted to nicotine. Because you've got water all through your body. And your body is absorbing this. If a person's a smoker, I remember when my father was a smoker, he would lie down on his pillow at night and when he'd get up in the morning I could smell his pillow. I could smell his pillow from the end of this table. Why? Because the nicotines and tars were coming out his pores, you see. That's why it's important when a person is trying to quit smoking that number one, they take showers And wash it away. If you don't wash it away, it may come out your pores and then turn around and reabsorb back in again. Secondly, that you drink a lot of water. Don't take it in, but flush it out. And even then, you're going to get the jitters because it's addicted to every part of you. And when we do stop smoking seminars, that's one of the things that we encourage people to do is drink lots of water because the water will absorb the nicotine and flush it out of you. Believe me, your kidneys and your bowels will think, you know, it's holiday and Christmas because that water that's going through is going to clean out the impurities. And so each cigarette, just one cigarette, Each cigarette will shorten your life by 14 and a half minutes. Just one cigarette. And that's not talking about the tars and the carcinogens and all that's in it. And have you ever noticed that most smokers at home will sit in front of the TV and they will have their cigarette and ashtray perhaps on the right hand. What do they have on the left hand? Maybe an alcoholic drink. But if it's not an alcoholic drink. It'll be. Ah you got it. Coffee. First let me say here in Philippians 4.13. If you're trying to break a habit. That's holding you. Remember what it says in Philippians 4.13. I can do all things through Christ. Who strengthens me. Christ will give you. The power to overcome. Now. Now. He just mentioned coffee. Let me tell you something. I want to introduce you to the Ean sisters. The Ean sisters, there are four sisters in that family. The first one's name is Morphine. You know what that is? Okay. The second one is Caffeine. The third one is nicotine. And the fifth one is purine. If you don't know what purine is, just take the first letter off and you got it. Or you can keep the first letter and take the rest off. You see. And that's usually in saturated, heavy uh, red meats. Did you ever notice that red meats, when the... If you sit next to them when they're starting to cook, you can smell a a urine smell. That's purine, you see. And each of these are related. I know I was giving a stop smoking seminar in a public high school down in South Haven, uh, Michigan. And there was a boy there who was uh, trying to quit smoking. I said, how many packs are you on a day? He says, well, I smoke three packs a day. And I said, okay. My next question, how many Cokes, Pepsis, Mountain Dew are you on? Oh, I drink a couple of liters of that a day. And I said, what about coffee? He said, oh, maybe a pot a day. And as I went through this, and he said, oh, I love my steaks rare. And I said, you know what? You are cruising for a heart attack or a stroke. Because even though you're on three packs a day, you're actually probably on about four or five packs equivalent, you see. And it's very common that when a person gives up smoking, their coffee or their pop consumption will increase. And that's why most people who are smokers will have their ashtray on one side and a cup of coffee or a beer on the other side while they're waiting for supper, you see. Why? Because these things reinforce one another. And The Lord wants us to work through these habits. And notice what it said there. You may say, oh, I can't, I can't give it up. Well, what's it say there? I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. With the power of God, we can overcome drugs, alcohol, tobacco, no matter what the habit is. Our God is bigger than the drug. And we can't let it take our lives away from us. John Hopkins School of Medicine said this in 1994. Caffeine is the world's most widely used mind-altering drug. If you don't believe it does, when you get up in the morning, you're shaky all over. You know what's causing you to be shaky? Those are withdrawal symptoms from an addiction. And, oh, I can't think straight until I have my coffee. I can't think straight until I have my cigarette or my cigar or whatever it is. Why? Because it's affecting your judgment and your thinking. Notice what it says from Duke University here. It says, what we have found is that caffeine interacts with stress and intensifies it. Many people take caffeine to relieve stress. Actually, it may help for a little bit, but then it intensifies it. So we're really shooting ourselves in the foot. And God is saying that he wants us to live life more abundantly. He wants us to live a drug-free life, a life that will be happier for us and it'll even save us some money. Jesus himself gave us the example when he was on the cross they put on the end of one of the spears they put on what well, well they call it a sop or we would call it maybe a sponge and they offered it to him but on it there was a drug that would numb the pain and when they put it up to his lips and he saw what it was he refused it because the devil wanted Jesus to give up and go home and Jesus says no I'm going through all the way with this and he didn't want anything that would clog his judgment and so we find that Jesus set us an example when he was on the cross now in 1 Corinthians six nineteen and 20 it talks about some other things it says do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God. You are not your own. How many times have I heard people say, well, who cares? It's my body. I'll do what I want with it. Well, you can do whatever you want with it, but it's not your body. It's only loaned to you while you're alive. You see, we are not our own. We are Christ. And what we do with our body. Even our moral activities. Even our sexual activities. We are not our own. We belong to God. This is talking about sanctified living. It's talking about holy living. It's talking about living to the glory of God. Not to the glory of the tobacco companies or the alcohol companies you see. It's what will benefit God and bless him. Notice in First Corinthians six nineteen and 20, it says, you have been bought at a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. Your breath belongs to God. He's going to take it back again when you die, right? Your body is his. And that's why when he returns at the resurrection, or I like to call it the resuscitation, he's not going to breathe into you a breath that has tobacco all over it or alcohol all over it. He's going to breathe into you the pure breath of life. And he's going to bring up your pure resurrected body. And so God says, like Jesus, who came up out of the grave, he came up with a regenerated body. Why? Because he took seriously his responsibility to be temperate in all things. Now, what the word temperate, I need to qualify that. That has a different meaning today than it does in the Bible. In the Bible, the word temperate means abstain from those things that are detrimental or evil and use wisely or moderately those things that are good for you. I love mashed potatoes. But you know what? If I eat mashed potatoes till they come out of my ears, I'm going to die. Right? Because I'm intemperate. And so even the good things We need to be careful. Did you ever notice when you overeat, what's the first thing you do? I've got a string attached from my stomach to my eyelids. And as soon as I put the food in, it weighs down my stomach, it pulls on that string, and my eyelids go down. You have that same problem? And so God tells us to be careful of overeating, even on those things that are good. Overindulging. John 10.10 says, I have come that they might have life and that they may have it more abundantly. You say, oh man, you're, you're taking all the fun out of life. No, God isn't trying to take the fun out of life. He's trying to put fun into our lives. He wants us to have abundant living. I mean, people say, well, let's have a party and we'll all get drunk and have a good time. Well, great. A good time is having a hangover, a headache and throwing up in the sink. Is that fun? I don't think so. God wants us to enjoy life without the negative effects. Notice abundantly. That means overflowing. It's so good for us. Look what it says in Exodus 15:26. If you diligently heed the voice of the Lord your God and do what is right in his sight, give ear to his commandments and keep all of his statutes, I will put none of the diseases on you which I have brought on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord who heals. Notice, heals. God heals us. If we stop doing these things, he will heal us. When I was a teenager, I smoked to prove I was a man. And then I had to quit to prove the same thing. And oftentimes, people are trapped into these habits. And God says, come on, I'm going to heal you if you make changes that will please me and be for your own benefit. You won't have the diseases of the Egyptians. If you do these, now what were the diseases of the Egyptian? Well, they've been working on these mummies that they've been finding, and they've discovered that the Egyptian lifestyle, what they ate, the heavy saturated fats and so forth, led to strokes, heart disease, cancer, they had venereal disease, they had all kinds of things. And God says, if you follow what I tell you, Follow my owner's manual. You know, in the car, you got to change the oil so often. Look in the manual. How much air do you put in the tires? You look in the manual. The Bible is our manual, what we do with our mind and our body. And he says, if you do as I ask you to, I won't let you get all these diseases of the Egyptians. First Corinthians ten thirty one. Notice the principle the principle behind this. For guarding our health. It says. Therefore. Whether you eat or drink. Or whatever you do. Do all to the glory of God. We are all to please God. Now there are some people say. Well that's part of the ceremonial law. Uh, and that's been nailed to the cross. Therefore we don't have to worry about those things. Okay. It's part of the ceremonial law, but you know, i got news for you. These were unhealthy before the ceremonial law ever came in, you see. Oh, maybe they didn't have cigars in those days, but they had other things. They did have alcohol, we know that. They had many of these other things, and God says, if you do as I ask, you won't have to worry about these things. My friends, today, Americans are digging their graves with their teeth. Because of the diet that we follow. Notice in Genesis 1, 29, it says, And God said, See, I have given you every herb that yields seed, which is on the face of all the earth, and every tree whose fruit yields seeds, to you it shall be food. Did you ever stop and think Adam and Eve were vegetarians? Don't forget, nothing had died, right? Hard to chew a steak while it's still running around, right? Adam and Eve were given fruit grains and nuts, and uh, later vegetables were added to that also. Why? Because it was a healthier diet. It wasn't, matter of fact, it wasn't until after the flood that you will find that God gave permission for them to eat meat. And when they did, their lives began to shorten. Notice here, it didn't say he wanted them to, but he gave permission to them for a good reason, which I'll touch on in a moment. Genesis 5, 27 says, All the days of Methuselah were 969 years. Almost a 1,000 years, folks. I think he had a pretty good diet. Plus the blessings of the Lord. In the days of Noah... This is long before the ceremonial law ever came in, right? These health laws, people say, well, those were part of the ceremonial system and they were done away with at the cross. I got news for you. There's no difference between the stomach of a Jew and the stomach of an Irishman. If it isn't good for the Jew, it's not good for the Irishman either, you see. They are not a part of the ceremonial law. They are a part of the health laws and are still in effect. In the days of Noah, notice that God had Noah bring aboard basically two groups of animals. As we look at these groups of animals, he divided them actually into two groups. He said that they were to bring on board how many clean animals? they were to bring on board seven of all of the clean animals. Of the unclean animals, two. Now, why seven? Seven's an odd number. For good reason. You see, after the flood, everything was wiped out. All the trees, vegetation, everything was wiped out. I'm sure Noah had food on board that he brought along. Maybe dried beans and dried vegetables. I don't know what he had on there. But nonetheless, after you've been on there for a while, especially having to feed all those animals, you're going to get low on food. When they got off the boat, it's going to take a while for those plants to grow back up again. And so God allowed them to eat meat. Now the interesting thing is he took seven of the clean ones. Why the odd number? First off, he needed a couple of pears for reproducing. Then he had a couple that they could eat. But why the odd one? Because when he came off the boat, what did he do? He offered a sacrifice to the Lord. And he only offered sacrifices for the clean animals. He didn't offer any sacrifices from the unclean animals. Those animals, they were serving a purpose. They were the garbage department of the earth. And they were not acceptable as an offering before God. Notice what it says here in Genesis 7:2. You shall take with you seven each of every clean animal, a male and his female, Two each of animals that are unclean, a male and his female. So already, before Moses was ever born, they already knew the difference between clean and unclean animals. They could eat the clean animals, but they could not eat the unclean animals. What happened if Noah said, huh, I think I'll have a pork chop tonight. And I think I'll eat Mr. Piggy. Better still, I'll eat Mrs. Piggy. Well, how many pigs would there be in the world today? You needed Mr. and Mrs. Piggy to populate the earth, right? And so he could eat the clean animals, but not the unclean animals. Notice what it says in Leviticus. In Leviticus, it outlines what is acceptable before God and what is not. Speaking of the animals, it said, among the animals, whatever divides the hoof, having cloven hooves and chewing the cud, that you may eat. What does it mean? Cloven hoof. Uh, What's an animal that has cloven hoof? A cow, a deer, a goat, right? They have a split hoof. And notice they chew the cud. Now, they have to do both. They have to have a split hoof and chew a cud. Now, what about a horse? A horse chews a cud, but it has a solid hoof, you see. It would be unclean. What about a baseball pitcher? He chews a cud, (laughs) right? Right? But uh, he's, un- he's unclean too because he doesn't have a split hoof. He has toes, right? Okay. But you see, it had to have both. Now, what about animals with paws? According to the Bible, they're unclean. Dogs, cats, mice, rats, they're unclean in the eyes of the Lord and may not be eaten. He specifically talks about certain animals you shouldn't eat. He talks about the camel. I don't know how many people have had a desire for a camel steak lately. But you look at a camel and really he has, his foot is more like a paw than it is a hoof. But the camel, he specifically says, is unclean. Now there's one in particular that is very popular that the Lord, traditionally, right through history, has declared unclean. And that's Mr. Piggy. And why? Because the pig is the uh, garbage disposal system. He'll eat anything. And the pig, what he eats, goes into his body. And pigs... Really, they they don't sweat it out. They keep that stuff in there. I guess they don't they sweat through the through their uh, hooves. I mean their feet. I don't know. But anyway, they uh, pigs are saturated with worms of various kinds. And even if you go into a restaurant and you ask for um, meat, a uh, pig meat that is, I want it rare. They can't, in New York, I know, especially, they cannot sell it to you that way. It's illegal. It has to be thoroughly cooked to kill the worms. Well, a lady, uh, I think she was in Vermont, if I remember correctly, I can check. Um, No, she was in Arizona. She went into the hospital because the doctor diagnosed that she had a brain tumor. When they got inside, they found out she didn't have a brain tumor. She had a worm that had formed a cyst in her her brain. And she got it from eating pork. And so we find this is the reason. The reason it's unclean is because God said so, period. But you'll find that these unclean animals are usually ones that are scavengers. And God says, why should you be eating the debris? Look at Isaiah 66, 15 through 17. It says, for behold, the Lord will come with fire and with his chariots like a whirlwind to render his anger with fury and his rebuke with flames of fire. For by fire and by his sword, the Lord will judge all flesh Now look at the next verse. And the slain of the Lord shall be many. Those who sanctify themselves and purify themselves to go to the garden after an idol in the midst, eating swine's flesh and the abomination of the mouse. He's talking about idol worship. Part of that idol worship is eating swine's flesh, and a mouse. And notice what it says in Isaiah 66. And by the way, Isaiah 66 also talks about the new earth. So we're talking about at the end of time, as we approach the end of time, has God changed his mind from the time of Leviticus? I don't think so. It says they shall be consumed together, says the Lord. Now what about the things of the uh crawl around in the ocean floor. The Lord tells us that we need to be careful of these creatures too. Leviticus 11:10. By the way, if you want to know what's clean and unclean, look at Leviticus. Leviticus 11, chapter 11. It tells you what you can eat, what you can't eat. Okay? And if anybody tries to tell you that that is done away at the cross, just remind them that they forgot to tell Noah that because he was long before the cross and so was Moses before the cross and this is not a part of the ceremonial law. Now what does this talk about here about the creatures of the sea? It's talking about if you're going to eat fish the fish need to have scales and they have to have fins. If they don't have fins and scales don't eat them. What are some things that don't have fins and scales? Lobster, crayfish, shellfish, catfish. Why? These are bottom feeders. And they exist for the purpose of cleaning up the debris in the lakes and the oceans. And this is the way they survive. As a matter of fact, oysters and mollusks, they filter the food. They suck it in and then they they suck in the dirty water, the polluted water, and then they squirt out pure water. So, where's all the garbage? Like a vacuum cleaner, where's all the garbage? It stays within the creature. And that becomes people's supper. I hope it didn't come from the Flint River. You see. What they're sucking up is in it, and most people will tell you that shellfish you can get very sick on shellfish very easily. Why? Because of the pollutants. And then in Leviticus 11:13, it talks about birds. And notice again, most of these birds it's referring to are birds that eat carrion or dead creatures. I don't know if you've had an appetite lately to eat a vulture, but it's unclean. vultures and buzzards. Eagles are unclean. Owls are unclean. The Bible specifically mentions some of these. It also mentions things with a hoof. We mentioned about the rabbit and creatures, don't eat your kitty or your doggy. In some countries they do. In the Orient, they eat dogs and cats. But there are even insects that you're not supposed to eat. There are some that you are allowed to eat, like the grasshopper. But don't eat the ants and cockroaches and some of the other things. Why? Because God says, I want you to be healthy. I want you to be happy. I don't want stuff that's going to make you sick. Notice, most people, especially in America, we are eating ourselves to death. Notice the three letters in the middle of the word death. Because of our habits... We are finding ourselves unable to function physically. Our judgment is all messed up. But before I conclude, I want to share with you a text that a lot of people use to say, it's all right, you can eat anything you want. And that is Peter and his dream. Now, in Acts, the 10th chapter, it talks about Peter. Peter was hungry, waiting for supper. He went up on the roof. And while he's waiting, he falls asleep and the Lord shows him a vision of a sheet being lowered down to him. And in that sheet, you know, four corners were held up and all these creatures are in it. And in there, there's all kinds of animals that the Bible says is unclean. And the Lord says, Peter, kill them and eat them. And Peter was horrified. He said, Lord, I've never eaten any of these things. Now, I want you to notice something. This was after the cross. This was after Jesus had ascended back to heaven. And Peter is still saying, I've never eaten these things. So if Jesus said they were clean, he forgot to tell Peter, Mm -hmm. you see. And he says, I've never eaten this stuff. And the Lord says, don't call unclean what I call clean. Now, Peter Wasn't he disobeying God? Because he didn't kill him and eat him. So what did he do? He took the sheet up. And then a little bit later, he lowered it a second time. He says, kill and eat. He says, no, Lord, I've never eaten these things. And he says, don't call unclean what I call clean. And then he takes it up, and he does the same thing the third time. And then he takes it up for good. And you notice Peter did not kill and eat. Peter knew that it wasn't, God wasn't saying that that had to do with his menu. It had to do with something else. All of a sudden there's a knock on the door and some men came and said, uh, we would like Peter to come to the home of the centurion and tell us about the gospel. Now as a Jew... He was not even supposed to talk to the Gentiles, let alone go to their house and stay overnight. And Peter himself makes an application of that vision and tells us what it meant. He tells us that that vision applied to his prejudice, his bigotry. And if he allowed his bigotry... To keep him from taking the gospel to the Gentiles, the gospel would never have gone anyplace. But what was he saying? You need to put aside your prejudice because I've got people all over the world of different nations, different races, colors, uh, religions, and whatever. I want you to go and preach to them. Peter himself makes that application of it and he confesses that the Lord was rebuking his prejudice and bigotry and if you look in chapter 10 verse 38 he said in truth I perceive the Lord shows no partiality God is an equal opportunity Savior to Jews or Gentiles My friends, the word of God is for all men. And as I conclude, I want to tell you a little story about 1997. Up in Maine, on the coast of Maine, there was a man who was working on a boat. Many of these fishermen go out by themselves. And as he was working on his boat, somehow his sleeve got caught in a winch. And it pulled his arm in and pinned his arm and it mutilated it. He was all alone. He couldn't even get away to steer the boat back to shore. And he knew if he stayed out there, he would bleed to death. He would die. What did he do? He reached in his pocket and he took out his knife. You're ahead of me. He took out his knife and he cut his arm off. And then he managed to stop the bleeding as best he could and he navigated the boat back to shore. And when they interviewed him, they said, how could he do that? And his response was, I needed my arm, but... If I didn't cut off the arm, I would die. And to save the body, I cut the arm off. My friends, how many habits do we have that we need to cut off in order to save the body? In order to save our minds, in order to save us, not only spiritually, but physically and our our families and so forth. Whatever the habit may be. God invites us. This is what he talks about. If if our eye offend us, pluck it out. It's better to enter in with one eye than both be lost with both eyes. What God is saying is if we have habits that will lead us astray, that will cause us to be deceived in the last days that will cause us death. God says, it might be worth our while to amputate them now before the time of testing comes. Whatever may be your particular hang-up, God says, come to me. All things are possible through him. He will give you the strength to overcome that you may be victorious. Let's have prayer together. Gracious Father, thank you for being with us. And Lord, help us to be ready for the coming of the Lord. Help us to have our minds and our hearts and even our physical bodies ready to represent you and stand firm and to have sharp minds and good judgment to discern truth and error as we face the days ahead of us. Come into our hearts, fill us, and help us to make wise decisions for you. In Jesus' name, amen.